Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. As we all know, life has its ups and downs, its mountains and valleys. Those valleys can be shallow sometimes. They can at other times be deep, very deep. Like when you use your, lose your job unexpectedly, or there is a divorce which can be very painful, or there is someone that you love dearly who has passed away. Perhaps one of those times is when you get a serious illness. And some of those illnesses can be terminal. Matter of fact, you can have an illness and immediately jump to the conclusion that it's terminal when it's not, but that's the way you feel, and it becomes a reality to you. All those things are in the valley that makes you in the deep valley. But perhaps even worse than all of that is when you get in that deep valley and it's your fault that you are there. What do you do then? You feel guilty as well as all of the other stuff that piles on. Well, David would say, if he were here, been there, done that. He did that uh, in the exact same terms that I'm talking about. That is, there was a point in his life when he was facing death's door, and it was his own fault. So what did David do? Well, that's what I want us to look at this morning. And, frankly, what he did can teach us a thing or two. Will you turn with me to Psalm 30? Psalm 30. David says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cry out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from the grave. You have kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise, sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned 
uh, for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end of my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is a psalm that has several memorable verses in it. Uh, One that is quoted most often talks about the fact that uh, morning comes during the night, but there's joy in the morning. One of my favorite lines in this psalm is verse 10, where it says, Lord, be my helper. Translated, Lord, help, and do it real quick, is sort of the idea. And that comforts me when I say to the Lord just such things. But what I want us to do is look at the whole passage. Uh, This passage is not in exactly chronological order. Uh, David uh, tends to talk about two different times in his life, uh, all within the same compass of a sentence or two. So let me organize the passage by saying that the first thing David does is he simply praises the Lord for delivering him from death's door. So let's begin by looking at that. Where you really need to start is in verse 2, where he says, O Lord, I cried to you, and you healed me. Now just pause there for a second. If the Lord healed him, that means he was sick. So let's start there. The backdrop of this whole psalm is just that. He was sick. Only this sickness was very serious. Look at verse 3. You have brought my soul up from the grave. Now he's not saying that you resurrected me, which is what it sounds like. The next line explains, you have kept me alive. So he didn't die, but he was at death's door. And he says, I didn't die, you kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. And of course the pit is a reference to the grave. So what he's saying in this passage is I was sick, I was sick nigh unto death, and you delivered me from death's door. Now there's more to the story than Zen verses 2 and 3. We will get to that a little later in the passage. But at this point, what you need to understand is David is simply saying, I'm praising you for delivering me. That's the way he opens the psalm. He says in verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, you have lifted me up, and not let my foes rejoice over me. So there's a couple of things going on in that verse, and this is the first movement in the passage. He's saying, I was sick, I was sick nigh unto death, and you healed me, and he calls that in verse 1, being lifted up. And then he adds, and you didn't let my Foes rejoice over me. Apparently they had foes that were gloating over the fact that David was sick, nigh unto death, and they were gloating. And he said, you not only delivered me from dying, you not only healed me from the sickness, but you prevented my foes from gloating over me. And for that, I extol you, 
I praise you. Someone commenting on this passage said, most of us have at one time or another experienced the relief of recovery from a serious illness. We have said goodbye to the sterile world of surgery, uh, intensive care, intravenous feedings, uh, injections, and pills, the pill parade, he calls it. It is too easy to think that our recovery was thanks to modern medicine. We forget to sing a psalm of thanksgiving to the one who is ultimately responsible for all healing. But David did not forget. It may be that he had just gotten over a critical illness when it came time to dedicate his house. In any case, the dedication was the occasion of this hymn of praise to the Lord, his healer. So what's going on in these opening verses is David is at death's door. The Lord heals him from the sickness, delivers him from death, and he says, praise ye the Lord. Then, still in the area of praise, he says in verse 4, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holy name. So in the first three verses, he's saying, I praise the Lord. And in verse 4, he says, well, I exhort you to praise the Lord too. The solo of verses 1 through 3 He wants to be a choir in verse 4. He wants you to praise the Lord too. By the way, in going through some of the Psalms, I've again and again found myself bumping into this idea. That is that the psalmist is constantly saying, I should praise the Lord and I should tell somebody else so you can praise the Lord. That communal idea of praise Telling somebody else so they can praise is repeated throughout the Psalter. So here is no exception. David is saying, I praise the Lord and I just exhort you to praise the Lord with me. Now, at this point, uh, he has a little flashback to his sickness and he's going to explain a little more why he was sick in the first place. Look at verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping endures for a night, but his joy comes in the morning. This verse is one of the most memorable verses in the whole chapter. It's one of the verses that often gets quoted from this chapter. But I want you to look at it carefully. And I want you to look first at that first word. What's the first word? For. Now, if you've heard me say before, and you will hear me say again, when the little word for appears at the beginning of a sentence in the Bible, it's saying, I'm about to explain to you what I just said. And in some cases, I'm about to give you an illustration of what I just said. So in verse 4, he says, praise the Lord. In essence, in the first three verses, he says, praise the Lord. Now he's going to explain in more detail what happened to him. So he said, his anger, whoa, God was angry? Yeah, God was angry. Now that implies 
that David had stepped out of line and the Lord was angry with him. Did you know the Lord can get angry with you? He's a father. Do fathers get angry? Let me ask it another way. Should fathers get angry? Yes. They shouldn't punish out of anger, but they get angry. I guess to be fair, I should say, and do mothers get angry? Yeah, mothers get angry too. It's just the nature of the parent-child relationship. And when we step out of line, the parent doesn't like it. Well, God's a parent. And we step out of line and he gets angry. So, he said, look, at, look at this verse. He says, his anger is for a moment, his favor is forever, weeping may endure for a night. So I want you to connect. He's angry and I'm weeping. So David's, apparently, what this passage is saying is David's sickness was a result of his sin. Because well, he's already said, you healed me, and now he's saying you were angry with me, and the anger was such that I was weeping through the night. Which all leads me to say that it is possible that sin can cause sickness. By the way, ask a doctor. Now, he wouldn't use the word sin, but uh, you know, if you get drunk enough, it can affect cirrhosis of the liver. Am I right? Can stress cause all kinds of problems? Just read the medical journals. They'll tell you. Well, the Bible says that. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says that they were observing the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, which means that they were coming for the meal. Back in those days, they had a meal, not just the bread and the wine. And they were, some were hungry, and some were feasting themselves, and some were drunk at the Lord's table. And he said, that's an unworthy way to observe the Lord's table. And because of this, some of you are weak, some of you are sick, and some of you are asleep, which is a biblical way of saying you're physically, prematurely dead in that case. So there can be sickness as a result of sin. And David is saying, that's what happened to me. I was at death's door, and it was my own fault. It was my sin that made God angry. I got sick, and that sickness, I thought, was going to be terminal. And I was weeping during the night. When that is the situation, there is no joy in the Lord. There is no fellowship as a result of being with the Lord. There is no comfort from the Lord when you are being disciplined and chastened by the Lord. So David says, that's what happened to me. That I was at death's door because of my own sin. Now, look at the verse again. This is the good part. He says, that anger is but for a moment. Weeping endures for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In other words, the discipline is short-lived when you respond properly to the Lord. It's but a mere night, 
And what's even better is that after that, after the discipline is short-lived, there is joy in the morning. So, in the midst of any trial, this is the case. Now notice, verse 5 is talking about David. But in verse 4, he invited everybody to praise. So based on that, I want to make an observation. Regardless of the trouble you're going through, you may not be sick, you may not be at death's door, you may not have a terminal illness, but whatever trouble you're in, whether it's your fault or not, everybody should praise the Lord when you're weeping in the night, but joy comes in the morning. You need to know this too is not going to last long. It's one of the things you need to know. Because if you don't, you'll lose hope. But when you lose hope, it, you get further and further down in that low, deep valley. There's hope. Don't forget that. Weeping is in the night, but joy is in the morning. Amen. This too will pass. As a matter of fact, he says, his favor is for a lifetime. Look at the verse. His anger is but for a moment. It's but a mere night. But his favor, his grace, ha, ha, that lasts for all your life. One of my Bible teachers that I cut my teeth on when I was a young Christian was a medical doctor who turned Bible teacher and had a radio broadcast. His name was M.R. Dahan. His son says... That Dr. Dahan, uh, when he met somebody who was having a difficult time, would say to them, remember the Bible says, and it came to pass. Remember that phrase? And it came to pass. Now he's not going to quote it like the Bible meant it, but he turned it into, this too will pass. You can say at some point, and this too will pass. And it came to pass. In other words, there's going to come a point in your life when you can look back and say, and it came to pass. It's past. There's joy in the morning. You may not feel like that in the midst of the night. There's weeping in the night. There's joy in the morning. Wow, what a statement. So released from his sickness, like the dawning of a new day, with the prospects of all the blessings that can come from God, he declares, and his favor is for life. Years ago, an old Scottish preacher said, the Christian life is a series of new beginnings. There is failure in every life, because we're not perfect. And when that happens, come to the Lord and experience the joy in the morning. There is joy in the morning. Did you hear me? There's joy in the morning. You're hurting now. It's night, and you're weeping. There's joy in the morning. Wow. When somebody translated this, for a moment last his anger, for a lifetime his love, sorrow is but the guest of a night, and joy comes in the morning.
another commentator that I admire, said on this passage, let me pause for a personal story. There was a time when the family was plunged into deep sorrow. Friends trooped in to express their condolences, but nothing seemed to relieve the grief. Their words were well-intended, but inadequate. Then Dr. Ironside sent a brief note in which he quoted Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That did it. The bands of sorrow were snapped. Since then, I have had occasion to share this verse with many other believers who were passing through the dark tunnel of grief, and always the verse has invoked a nod of gratitude. So, this note, regardless of what you're going through, this too will pass. There's weeping in the night, but there's joy in the morning. Now, for that, David praised the Lord. For that, he invited others to praise the Lord with him, implying this too applies to you. The second movement in this passage is sort of a flashback. He's now told us twice that he was healed. He's told us he got snatched from the jaws of the grave. And now, beginning in verse 6, he reviews his past sin. And again, the passage is not in what we would call chronological order. So let me start with, uh, let me start with verse 7. He said, you hid your face and I was troubled. Now, again, he's referring to his sin. And he's saying, when that happened, God hid his face. Now, that little expression, God hid his face, is simply the meaning, the removal of God's blessing, the removal of God's favor. Now, you remember earlier in the passage, he says, God's favor is for life. That's in verse 5. And now in verse 7, he says, but there was a time when you hid your face from me. And in the Bible, that's simply a figure of speech to saying, the Lord did not bless me. He did not grant his favor upon me. So he is saying in verse 7, I was troubled. I was going through God's discipline. Now, this is a flashback. It's not in chronological order. So let's go back and look at verse 6. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. Evidently, prior to all of this, David had a rather cocky attitude. His attitude was, in my prosperity, all's going well. I figured it out. So, he says, I shall not be moved. In other words, this predates the sickness. And he's saying, uh, oh, there was a self-confidence, a false sense of security that gripped him. Matter of fact, someone has said we should never conclude that because we are presently experiencing peace and prosperity that these conditions will continue. 
We should not rest in material prosperity, but in the Lord. Before the illness, David was prosperous and self-reliant. He thought that he was immune to trials and trouble. So that even predates the sickness. So he says in the first part of verse 7, The Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. He said, but you know, even then I knew that it's the Lord who makes me strong. Please look at the first part of verse 7. By your favor. What is favor? Grace, right? It's by your grace that you have made my mountain stand strong. How are you strong? That verse tells you. How? Grace. 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 You see, we live in a society where just, you know, throw your shoulders back, throw your chin up, be strong. Well, there are times when perhaps you need to be strong, but you can only be strong to face all the problems in this life by the grace of God. I don't know what people do that don't know the Lord. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Of course I do. What do they do? They go to drugs. They go to the bottle. They become materialist. They go to sex. They go to something to relieve the pain. Why? Let me tell you, you don't need to do all of that. Where is it that you can become strong and stand like a mountain? And I say to you, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It is only in the Lord that you're going to stand like a mountain. And David said, I knew that, but in my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. Now be careful. When you think you stand, then is when you stumble and fall. So, I don't know how many times I've said something to somebody, and they said, well, no, don't worry, I, I, I'm not going to do that. And the next thing I know, that's exactly what they did. Let me repeat it. Be careful when you think you stand, because then is when you fall. So David is saying all of this as he reviews this problem he had. And he's saying, on the one hand, I, I was prosperous. And I thought, I'll stand. But I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that it's the Lord who makes me strong. So he said, that is when I sinned. And when I sinned, the latter part of verse 7 said, you hid your face from me. And I was troubled. I was weeping in the night. There was no joy in the morning. So, Having reviewed the various things that were going on in his life, he then says in verse 8, I cried to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Be my helper. Now this is a very fascinating passage of Scripture. For this reason, David is arguing with the Lord at this point as to why the Lord should heal him and save him from a terminal illness and death. And here's his argument. Verse 8, I cried to the Lord and said, what profit is there in my blood? 
Now, the little expression, my blood, is talking about his death. All right, if, if I die, what profit is there in me dying? He explains, uh, when I go down to the pit. So blood and going down to the pit are all the same thing. When I die, what profit is there going to be to you? That's his argument. Lord, I'm not going to profit you when I die. Then he says, here's what I mean. Uh, will, will dust praise you? If, if, if I die and I become dust, well, what, what, profit, nobody's gonna, what profit is that? The dust isn't going to praise you. That's his argument. And who's going to declare your truth? If I die and I'm turned to dust, who's going to be left to proclaim your truth? I love it. David is saying, look, Lord, you're better off if I'm alive. That's what he's saying. You're better off. You're going to profit because if you save me from this, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to proclaim it to other people. So, Lord, here's my argument. For you, there's profit, there's praise, and there's proclamation. How's that? So, Lord, it's to your advantage to, to deliver me from this. And sure enough, as he said, the Lord healed me, and I praised the Lord, and I exhorted all the people that read this passage to praise the Lord for the next thousand, three thousand years. So, David is arguing, Lord, it's to your advantage, it's to your profit that you have mercy on me. By the way, David is not arguing that he deserves this. See that? He's not arguing that you should do this because of something I've done. He's saying, Lord, it's to your profit. You will get praise. And um, you will get me proclaiming your truth if you do this. Now, some have read that passage and thought, well, that means if, if you die, you don't praise the Lord. And what happens? Is this, is this talking about you just... Some use this verse to talk about things like soul sleep, then what happens in the grave? That's not David's point. David's point is, there'll be no, I, there, I won't be here on this earth to praise you and proclaim your truth. That's his point. Of course, he says in the passage, I'm going to praise you forever. So the passage itself recognizes that he'll praise him in heaven. But his argument in verses 8 and 9 is... You need to do this in my case so I can be on the earth and get other people to praise you. Wow. You ever pray like that? Lord, do you, you ever make promises to the Lord? Do you ever get in a bind and start praying and, and, and start, if you do this, I'll do that? Oh, come on. Are you human? <laughs> well, let me tell you what, let me tell you how to bargain with the Lord. You want a biblical bargain? It's in those verses. Lord, if you do this, I will praise you personally, and I'm going to go tell everybody else you answered prayer and get them to praise you. Is that what the passage is saying? I don't know that I've ever prayed like that. Matter of fact, I was studying some of the other Psalms this week, and um, I bumped into a passage I'd never thought about before. I'd seen it, but I don't think I'd thought about it a lot. And uh, I thought, wow, I hadn't been doing that. Hmm. You know, one of the occupational hazards of teaching the Bible, you have to apply it to yourself sometime. 
And I must say, there are things in this passage I haven't done. And I've learned just by studying the passage myself. So here's what I've, one of the things I've learned. Lord, you've got you to do this so I can praise you for answered prayer and get other people to praise you. Wow. All right. First thing he does in this passage is he praises the Lord for his deliverance. The second thing is he reviews what all happened, and he ends with praise. So look at verse 11. He said, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I give thanks to you forever. So this passage is not saying David wouldn't praise you past the grave. It says clearly, I'm going to do it forever. I'll praise you now and I'll praise you when I get to heaven. But in the meantime, he says in verses 8 and 9, I cried to the Lord. And he says in verse 11, and you turned my mourning into dancing. (laughs) My mourning. When do you mourn? Where do you mourn? At a funeral, right? So the imagery is, I was weeping in the night. It was like being at a funeral. I thought I was dying or somebody died. And now he said, you turned my mourning into dancing. Where do you dance? At a party or a wedding. So he says, look, the situation was so bad, I thought I was at a funeral, and it got so good, I thought I was at a wedding. That's what he's saying. Then then he says this, and you put on my sackcloth, you took off my sackcloth and closed me with gladness. Now you have to understand that in the Bible, they put on sackcloth when they were mourning, when they were grieving, when they were repenting. And so David is saying, that's what I did. I had on the sackcloth, and and I cried out to you, and you turned to me, and when you did, you took off the sackcloth, and you you clothed me with uh, a garment of gladness. Now let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel good when you bought a new piece of clothing? For me, it'd be a suit. For women, it'd be a dress. Shoes. Shoes. Oh, how did I forget that? <laughs> of course. Do you ever feel good when you bought a new pair of shoes, ladies? Yeah. All right. David's saying, that's the way I felt when I got through this. It was like God took off those Shoes that had holes in them and gave me a new pair of shoes and I felt glad. It was a garment of gladness. So as someone has said, every difficult experience in life, and David had many of them, is an opportunity for a pity party or attend at a rehearsal for singing in the choir of heaven. So in the midst of the night, remember there's joy in the morning and there's a new pair of shoes. You can go dancing. So he ends by saying, I'll not be silent. I think that's interesting because earlier in the passage he said, I was in trouble and you were silent. And now he comes down to the end and he says, Lord, you, you delivered me and I will not be silent. I'm going to sing your praises now. I'm going to sing them forever. I'm going to declare them to everybody else so they will praise you. Hallelujah. 
Somebody asked the question, what is praise? And he answered his own question by saying, it's the rent we owe to God, and the larger the farm, the greater the rent should be. Interesting way to put it. What is praise? It's the blessings that God has given you for which you give him thanks, and the greater the blessing, the greater the praise. And in this case, he gave me my life back. Praise him. All right. How are we doing? Did you get it? In this passage, David has been delivered to death's door. And when he was delivered to death's door, he cried to the Lord, and the Lord healed him and delivered him, and he praised the Lord and got other people to do the same. Can I remember that? You might not be at death's door now, but you're in some kind of trouble. And when you are, cry out to the Lord, and when he answers, praise him and get other people to praise him. Now I want to conclude by making a couple of observations. One is I want to comment about sickness. In the passage I said, sickness can cause sin. Remember that? You didn't forget already, did you? All right, I want to just say in closing, not all sickness is due to sin. Germs cause sickness too. Sin can, but so can germs. All right? So let me just clarify that. The other thing is, and I, I am just struck with two other things. One is, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I, th that's the point that stuck with me as I read and studied this passage. Simply put, God's anger is temporary. His favor is permanent. So get as close to him as possible so that you don't experience the anger, you experience the grace and the joy. Now, when you're in the middle of the problem, there's weeping in the night. So what I want to emphasize is, in the middle of the problem, remember the morning. In the middle of the problem, remember the message. There's weeping in the night, but there's joy in the morning. Hear me. In the middle of the problem, remember the message. There's joy in the morning. One of the most famous battles in church, and not church history, history, is when Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. When the battle was over, the message was carried by sailing ship to the southern coast of England. From there, it was relayed to uh, flags, signal flags, to London, where it was uh, received at Westminster Chapel. The flags on top of the cathedral began to spell out the message, Wellington defeated. And at that point, a fog blew in. And that's all the people saw. And there was great concern in the streets. And the message began to be repeated throughout the countryside. And then the fog rolled away. And the gloom in the people's hearts were lifted when they saw the whole message. Wellington defeated the enemy. In the middle of the problem, you think, 
Wellington is defeated. I'm done. I'm toast. But you've got to remember the message. There's what in the morning? Joy in the morning. And the other thing I'd like to emphasize is when God delivers you from the jaws of death itself, the door of death, as I've called it in this passage, the one thing you need to do is praise God. Now let me tell you, trials and trouble are part and parcel of life. And sometimes it's our own stupid fault. Regardless, hear me, regardless, you've got to come to the Lord. And when you do, he will be compassionate. He is a father who gets angry, but that's only temporary. His compassion is permanent. And he will retrieve and he will save, even if it's your own stupid fault. That's why it's called amazing grace. Years ago, a painter in London was painting St. Paul's Cathedral's dome. It was Sir James Thornhill. He had to stand on a scaffold high above the pavement in order to make the painting. One day when he had finished the detail on which he had spent hours of painstaking effort, he stopped to inspect his work. Slowly he began to move backward in order to get a better view. A man working with him realized that if he kept going backward, he would fall off the back of that scalpel and to a certain death. He was afraid that if he shouted, he might startle him and cause him to stumble. Quick as a flash, he took a brush and made a sweeping stroke across the work that Thornhill had just finished and was admiring. Greatly disturbed, Thornhill rushed forward with a cry of anger. And then the worker explained, I did it to save your life. And when he did, then the artist said, oh, thank you. That's what we need to do. When he saves us from the door of death, even if it's your own fault, you need to praise him that you didn't die. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us David. Thank you for giving us the one that is greater than David, your son. And giving us this truth that we can rely upon you in the middle of the night when we're weeping to give us joy in the morning. Lord, I pray that you will remind people who hear this message of this truth when they're in the middle of the night weeping so there can be assurance of joy in the morning. In Jesus' name.